You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant join Washington Post Live to discuss their HBO series, The Undoing, and the creative opportunities in the streaming television landscape. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Anne Hornday, film critic for The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I am thrilled to be joined by two iconic and award-winning actors, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. They are the stars of the hit HBO miniseries, The Undoing, and Nicole is also one of the executive producers on the show. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Glad you made it. <laughs> Indeed. It's always a plus when one makes it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. great to see you. Um, and Nicole, I will start with you because The Undoing came right on the he- heels of Big Little Lies, another, another binge hit um, in which you played Celeste, another well-to-do woman with a very complicated private life. So tell us a little bit about how Grace, your character in The Undoing, uh, differed from Celeste and what they had in common. Um, I mean, for me, the, the interior part of, um, of, of Grace is what differentiated. I mean, obviously, they're both holding um, secrets. One's starting in a place, I mean, Celeste was starting in a place of, of true damage and trying to present perfection, and Grace is starting in a place of thinking she has perfect li- a very, very good life. Um, and having it unravel. So uh, obviously, the the place where they start is so different, and then the and then the arc of the unraveling of both of them actually is very different. For me, Grace was um, incredibly resilient, um, and her ability to to watch, think, and process was was probably the hardest part of the character because so much of the role is the um you're never you're never sure what I'm thinking and that was something that I was like is this going to actually sustain six hours and I was very worried about it <laughs> um and that's where I sort of joined hands with Susanna Beer who is the most magnificent um partner in terms of uh, creating a character and understanding how to shape it and, and knowing what to do and what to give you and, and where to lead you. And then having someone like you and, and these brilliant actors to um, respond to because so much of acting is responding and listening and responding. Well, indeed. And, and it's, as you say, it's all the more complicated when, the per- when you're both playing these, la- these submerged layers that are not immediately clear. Um, Hugh, obviously, we know you and love you from your work in the romantic comedies that are now just I- classics of the form. Sorry, <laughs> right, we haven't heard of her. Uh, hi, Nicole. She gets media. <laughs> what? We might... We like to provide these forums for people to, re, you know, these little reunion forums. It's fun. Yeah, um, but, but, <laughs> but then in recent years, you, you've been playing, you know, you're the bad guy in Paddington. You're the bad, you, you know, you have a complicated, have a complicated character in Mary English Scandal. And now, and now um, your character in The Undoing. So what's, what's been attracting you to these, to these, I don't know if we want to call them villains, but uh, darker roles. They're pretty bad. I mean, it's, 
one murderer and two attempted murderers in those three you've just mentioned. So I think you, I think you can legitimately call them baddies. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, this is the stuff I get offered now. I uh, uh, perhaps, thankfully, uh, don't look or seem like a romantic comedy kind of guy anymore. Uh, or maybe people have rumbled the real me um, because I am quite complicated and I do love to kill. So anyway, these are the parts I get often. <laughs> well, and thank goodness for that. You know, Nicole, you I'm to... fascinated by what... Yes, why go ahead. Why, why do I... you have your career? What are you doing now? You look particularly... <laughs> yeah, well, it's another complicated character. Uh, in uh, the movie version of Dungeons and Dragons. Do you play Dungeons and Dragons, Nicole? Anyone? No. no. Well, anyway, it's an extremely what? popular game, and it's going to be an extremely popular film with me and my beard. Stay <laughs> tuned, America. Dragons yeah. and <laughs> never in my life. I don't think I've even. I don't know what I would. I don't think I'd recognize it if I saw it. I'm with you. Where You're were just we? Being Where were we? It's snobby because it's a bit of. Uh, it's it's a, a slightly geeky game, isn't it? No, but I'm not a hobby. I, I would play it if I knew about it. Maybe I'm just absolutely dreadful at any sort of game because I put no time. I'm not a gamer. I put no time in on. It. It's I not think a, demographically, it's not a, we just missed game. the gaming generation. Let's go back to the undoing uh, or, or something else. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, let's, let's do. I'm. I was interested, Nicole, in what you said about Susanna Beer, because I I know that it was important for you to have a female director for this. You have said that. And I wanted to ask you why that was important for this story. But then also um, getting back to just sort of having to having to kind of keep so many things hidden. And how does a director direct that kind of a performance? I mean, what what goes into your communication with her? And I guess I would probably put the same question to Hugh, because you had a very complicated job to do as well. Um, the, the first question um, with Susanna, it was important uh, to have a woman um, helming it because it's six hours and, um, and I just felt entering into her psyche and um, the way in which Susanna, Susanna viewed it and her compassion towards Grace and her understanding of Grace actually because she has you know she enters it through her own personality in a way was was really really helpful on top of that I'd made a pledge um I think it was about two two to three years prior at the Cannes Film Festival where I stood up and said listen I'm going to pledge because it's the only way to actually get things to change is that when you have some sort of position of um, being able to make choices for who's going to direct something or at least offer them to people to get to try and have women directing or um, work with a female director every every 18 months and so that was part of my pledge and, and honoring that and it was all it was fantastic because it's sort of um, yeah was was true to my promise but also completely necessary for the project so, and I've wanted to work with her for years. As Hugh said, she's done some extraordinary films. Um, and I think, and he'd, he'd had a previous relationship with her. 
Um, and, and I think we both just, you know, we're, we're really fortunate to be in her hands. She's an incredible leader. Um, and, and she has such weight and, and fortitude and strength and vision, which is a terrific thing as a director. <laughs> it's what it's like in taste as well, too, I think comes into it. Um, so yeah, Hugh, do you want to add anything to what what I would call European taste because she really does allow um, things to breathe and she has a particular way of looking at the world and um, and I thought that with such a commercial piece and with David's writing was such such a wonderful combination because so much of much of it is the combination I always say we're collaborators we're, that's what we do if we do it well we all come in and we bring things and and we collaborate. <laughs> yes. Hugh, did you did, did what was your relationship with Susanna like on set in terms of just again directing this incredibly nuanced and tricky performance? Well, there's many things I I, I like about Susanna. You know, a lot of which Nicole's just said. I you know I loved her Danish films and and I do think it's a very happy uh, an unusual marriage of this very European sensibility with very American script. Um, and you you can see that, and I mean, you know that, you're a film critic, it goes back to Rosemary's Baby and before. But um, the other thing that was surprised me about uh, Suzanne, because I had almost made a romantic comedy with her about 10 years ago, was, I, and I didn't know the side of her, was that she's very, uh, she's quite twisted and dark. So <laughs> she loved, the darker Jonathan was, the more fascinating she was, which suited me down to the ground. And um, for instance, you know, in the in the murder scene, I was actually quite shocked by how far she wanted to go and how gruesome she she wanted to make it. Um, she's real. She's Scandi noir, <laughs> which we love. Which we love. Scandi yeah. noir is where it's at. I married one. Well, nothing wrong with that. I now I think this is a really good time to play a clip and this 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 shows your relationship in just such a such a terrific way. Um this is Jonathan pleading for Grace's support when he's in jail. Let's take a look and and then talk about it. Look, I don't know what the purpose of this conversation is, but you wanted me to come and I'm Well, here. it's it's not to convince you that I'm a good husband or a good father. You didn't just do this to me, you did this to your son. You have a daughter. You have a daughter. Look, I... You actually think I'm gonna help you? You know my heart. You know my heart. I, I, 
understand that you can no longer trust me to be the man you thought I was. I get that. But you certainly know that I would never take a human life. You know that. transgressions my love for you Henry. can you bring him please bring him Post Matt Hurwitz, you said you developed a whole backstory for Jonathan. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, I had two backstories, one which I ended up using and one which I was sort of thrown out just before we started shooting, or at least some parts of it were thrown out. Um, I Because I've found in recent years that I act better if I'm less like myself, if I'm playing a character. So I created uh, a backstory that involved some, he'd, he'd had a whole medical education in Paris. He'd become very interested in uh, French philosophy, he'd be quite pretentious. He was interested in that whole left-wing Parisian 1968 thing. He dressed a bit like that. He had much longer hair, I imagined. He, he wore sort of um, more bohemian clothes. Um, and uh, he read much more kind of esoteric, pretentious books. Anyway, uh, Susanna Beer, probably quite rightly, uh, just before we started shooting, said, let's get rid of all that because I think it might make him look too fishy. And the whole thing does fall apart if you can't uh, at least make some of the audience think this guy could be innocent. So, um, so that happened. But, but a lot of the backstory could still remain. It was you know, all the stuff of him being a, a sort of star uh, pupil at school and at, uh, at medical school and um, very kind of too good to be true, in love with his own mythology, uh, but very good at covering it up like a lot of those uh, narcissists. He, he could appear quite plausibly humble and charming, but really a very, very profound uh, orgy of self-love was going on inside him throughout his life. Right. And so you're you're playing you're playing a person playing a person, essentially. That also is going on. This was a complex matter because yes, to keep the to keep the whodunit credible, uh, although all arrows point at me, it's a circumstantial evidence, etc., I have to appear uh, innocent. And the only way to do that uh, believably or to bring that off, I thought, was for Jonathan to believe his innocence. And of course, that's something that a lot of uh, sociopathic narcissists do when they lie. That They're not really lying. They're, they believe their lies. And uh, I think Jonathan certainly believed his lies. So in that scene that you've just shown, he, he really believes that he couldn't take a human life. He believes that he's a healer and, and all those things. Mm. Right. And it, it's it, and it was. Hmm? Watch 
about that scene is that you also feel it vibrate, you know, and because there isn't that, and I've said this before, um, there isn't that thing where you go in and you, what I thought it was going to be was the glass where you're talking through the glass in the jail and you're on the, you know, the, the scenes that you see regularly in films. This was sitting there with nothing between us. So therefore, um, to feel the pull of that, of the humanness of him, that was fantastic as an actor to have that and therefore as a woman whose husband is really speaking like this in truth what what she wants to believe and feel to have that those sensations um moving and not and not blocked was what was wonderful and sitting there and watching Hugh do it it was completely convincing and I find that really interesting as a as a, as a person where you go I want to believe this I, I want to believe it as much as um, there's so many things pointing towards it. I want what I had. So I'm going to choose even if it's 5% so that I can believe it and run with that, which we see frequently occur, right? Which <laughs> um, was quite the original novel, wasn't it? What was the title of the original novel? Um, uh, she knows. Uh, <laughs> um, she knew or what, what is it she know i i don't know i can't but believe I we're doing that. <laughs> um, no, because with a novel you have to create the sense of something completely new because otherwise you're and we did it with big little lies you're, you're recreating so she already knew yeah um you should she should have known yeah. but i want that title <laughs> um because it gives the whole thing away but at the same time it's really I find it, um, and I'm so, uh, I, I, I can do it, where I will choose to hold on to that one skerrick of, of what I think is true because I so want that to be true. Um, and I love that a whole series is based on that because it's a metaphor for so many things. You know, it's actually not just a, a show about a marriage and, and it, it, for me it feels like a much bigger landscape that you're, that you're playing with and the idea of um the other thing that i loved susanna was so committed to hugh you know there was a point where there was like oh well maybe somebody else could have done it we actually th threw that around for a moment and susanna was adamant that absolutely not um it has to be him always you would never change that ending because if you do you you take away the teeth of the whole piece Right. And I and I think I know we've been batting different alternative titles around. I think that the novel was you should have known, not she should yeah. have known. This but is what I this is what I'm being told by my, my, my crack with the title. You wouldn't be able to do it. You know, I mean, you can do it as a book because you're going to get into it and you're going to read it. But to tune in for six hours with a title like that, you'd be like, mm, hold on. We already know the ending. But it doesn't work. Well, and to your point, Nicole, you know, you're so right that this that this self-belief is obviously a theme in American politics right now. And I would dare say English politics, too, that we have these um, these cult, you know, this sort of cultural thing going on um, with 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 lies and mistruths and, and the extent to which people want to believe. But then this is also 
as you said, not just about a marriage, but this is about Grace's relationship with her father, with her son. I mean, gender dynamics are running all the way through in such different, fascinating ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as a woman playing with those, um, with your father, your husband, and your son, um, and what that means, each of those relationships. I mean, the relationship with Donald is so interesting with my father because, you know, he's really disliked the man that I've married. Um, we had a childhood where he he adores me and wants me and the, the scene around the piano represents or even playing chess and all the things that we used to do um, when I was a child, he's now got back. It very much suits him to have me living in the apartment with my son and suddenly he's not lonely. He's got me back so that it it suits him. Um, And all all of that is fantastic to play with because I know that as the character. I I mean, I know that and I'm, I'm battling that, going, I'm not your daughter and stop trying to lead me towards leaving him because he's been doing that the whole relationship anyway. He's never liked him. He never wanted me to marry him. Those things are fat. And then the decision with your son to go, I want to get back. I'm actually, and this is a similar theme to Big Little Lies, I will sacrifice certain things in my life to give you the life that I want you to have, which is a very, you know, deep, complicated theme. And an, uh, an, well. an atavistic huh? thing, really. An, atav- an mm. at, you know, primal thing, I think, um, for yeah. a mother and for any parent. And, and Hugh, you know, I, those early scenes of you with your son played so beautifully by Noah Jupe. I mean, he's just an extraordinary young actor. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's the, the word seductive might be wrong, but it's just so disarming because your relationship is so good. You know, when you're walking him to school and joking around about the music teacher, and it's just like to like Nicole said, we want to be- we want to believe that that's the real um, that's the real Jonathan. But tell us, can you just tell us about how you navigated that relationship with with your fictional son? Well, this is it comes back to what I said earlier, where um, I think Suzanne wanted a bit of kind of what one might call vintage Hugh Grant or, you know, stuff I'd done before. If I could wheel on some of that, um, you know, sort of charming character, then people might think he can't possibly have done it. And, and a good way to, to do that and a good vehicle for that, apart from scenes with Nicole, in fact, an easier, easier way to do it than scenes with Nicole were with the boy. And um, yeah, so I, he was great to work with. He, you know, he's the, the weird thing about Noah, he plays it American, but he's actually from Manchester in England. And, um, yeah. We got on very well <laughs> with him. Um, and, you know, I, I've just gone through uh, nine years of bringing up five children. So talking to children now comes extremely naturally to me. It's all I bloody do. <laughs> well, you do it quite well. You know, Nicole, I'm sure you don't remember this, but you and I were on the Diane Reem show here in Washington in 2015, talking about women in Hollywood. It was Bye. you, Bruna, was on. 
uh, Melissa Silverstein, and we were sort of talking all about the uh, what needed to change. You were yeah. you had formed Blossom Films, but you were sort of gearing that up. Bruna, of course, was your who's your co-producer here on The Undoing and was on Big Little Lies, was was getting her company started with Reese Witherspoon. And Lord, how five years have changed things. Yeah, I know. And it's fantastic, right? I mean, but it's it's um yeah, but it's because of I think so many people going come on, it has to change, right? There's no more discussion about it or, oh, wouldn't it be nice? But, I mean, constantly going, yeah, we can talk about it, but let's actually do it. Let's actually do it, you know, and that is the um, that is the sort of, I suppose, what I've been committed to, what Bruna's been committed to. Bruna and I have just subsequently work together again and when we've we continue to work together we're also just starting i'm about to go to australia and start a um a, a group of an, an anthology puff you know it was it was a, it's a big thing to still keep getting getting it made and making it diverse and being able to see all sorts of cultures and people and ideas um but you know part of it is also just these streamers these huge places going yeah we will give you the money to go do it i'm about to do a thing with lulu wong where um amazon is giving us the money to go make a film where i'm she she's helming all of it and it is a very very bold move and they've They've gone, yeah, we'll we'll let you do that. That would not have happened five years ago. It just wouldn't. So it, you know, the, it's, it's great really hmm? Yeah, and, and I was sorry to cut. And even in twenty fifteen, I'm sorry too. We have a tiny time lag and I apologize if I'm interrupting. I'm very sorry about that. Um and, but as welcome as those resources are and that platform is for this kind of very storytelling that we're talking about, I think those, you know, you, Nicole, you arrived on the scene with Dead Calm, Hugh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, you know, those wonderful kind of one-off movies that people would go see in a theater. Is there a space for that kind of movie movie um, in this ecosystem now, do you feel? I'd like to hear from Please. both of you quickly on that. Well, I, I, hope, well, I, I, yeah. I love this. I think that's where it's really at, and I, I miss celluloid too. I I don't really approve of digital, I, I but there's something antiseptic about it. And uh, and you know, when you watch a film with an audience, it's it's uh, there's something going on. There's a special feeling in in the room. And um, I think we all spend too much time watching screens by ourselves or with our little close bubbles. Enough. Yeah, and I mean, just the idea of there is certain films that need to be seen on a big screen with a huge group. There's stories that you can sit and, and snuggle in your bed and watch um, on on your computer or on TV and just sort of, and, and they work that way. But um, I mean, just recently I went over to, and that was as part of supporting women, um, but also supporting auteurs. And being able to say there is still going to be those directors that are going to want to work um, on those big, big landscapes and tell these stories that warrant being.
being seen on a big screen. And so I went to Belfast, which I think is where you are now, right, Hugh? Um, you and Belfast? Yeah. Oh, no. And I I'm worked with Regis on this film called The Northman, which is, um, you know, it's a, it's a huge film, but it has to be seen on the big screen. And he shoots things in one shot. I mean, he is cinema. And I was really frightened to do it. It was during the pandemic. I was like, I remember asking you, Hugh, what's the numbers like over there? Is it? And I was deeply frightened. And I went, God, but I'm still going. I'm insane, <laughs> but I'm also committed. And I hated the idea of letting them down. And so just that thing of I think now as much as we were also saying get get behind changing you know in terms of women and and the parody there it's also get behind the auteurs now and go yeah I'll go I'll go over to who knows where for some amount of time because I want you to get your movie made um and that's a big thing that we can do as actors well and may I just say Nicole you have made that your your working principle for years now and for that the cineasts of america and the world are grateful you've you've really been fascinating in terms of your choices of material and with whom to work but with that i have to say we're out of time uh well yeah i mean onward right we all um it's We've, we've got so much ahead of us, but it's great that there's this opportunity to go back. And I think um, also just I'm so excited to see what what people are going to do in the future, particularly, yeah, the stories of the auteurs that they're choosing to tell now, because it, it is the it's philosophy. As much as there's the big entertainment, we need the we need the art. And I just just to do a call out on a series that I'm watching now that's not big screen but is definitely an auteur is Barry Jenkins' Underground Railroad. I've just been watching that and just sort of shattered, shattered. So, Incredible. yeah. Well, Peace. I wish we had more time. Nicole and Hugh, thank you both so very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Love you. Yes. Love the Washington Post. I love the fire. <laughs> the Post loves you both back. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, I just, mwah, and we bye. love our audience. And thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, guests. Thank you, audience. Please come back. The Washington Post Live today at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when my colleague Michelle Yehi Lee talks with the star of the animated film Raya and the Last Dragon, Kelly Marie Tran. I am Ann Hornaday. As always, thank you for watching. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.